When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are qualified London Blue Badge tourist guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites guideemily.com and alexlacy.com for information about our upcoming walking tours and virtual tours, as well as what the Blue Badge Guiding Qualification is all about. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to this episode of Ladies Who London podcast. Uh, this is Alex here. I hope you're doing very well this week. Um, you might notice there's a slightly different opening to the show uh, this week um, for very good reason. So Emily is um, not here. We've we've already recorded this week's episode. In fact, we've got this week and next week uh, already in the bag. Um, and we... The reason is, basically, Emily has a little uh, personal project that she's been working on and she hasn't been able to make it uh, to this week's recording, which is a bit of a shame, but totally understandable when I tell you what she's up to. Um, I'm currently recording this on Monday, 24th of May, and you're listening hopefully on the Wednesday. And hopefully by now, Emily will have uh, managed to produce the next uh, Lady Who Londons because she has gone into labour with her first baby, who is a little girl. So um, by the time this goes out, I would really hope that we have uh, another little lady with us, um, but we'll keep you updated in the next few weeks. Emily is completely convinced that she will still have time to do the podcast. Um, But in the interim, we've got this week's podcast already recorded and we have next week's as well. And then chances are, while Emily kind of finds her feet and uh, figures out her new timetable, then uh, we're going to have a couple of uh, guest hosts coming on with me as well. And then Emily will be back in due course as and when she feels she's got time to come back. But she will be back, so don't panic. Uh, We are not carrying on Ladies Who London without Emily. So if the goth guide is your favourite guide, that's fine. She will be back at some point. So I'm sure you can all join me in wishing Emily uh, a, well, many, many congratulations. And I'll let her tell you uh, the details of um, of the new arrival uh, when she's back with us. So there we go. So it's, uh, it's down to me this week to let you know the results of the podcast pedestal. 
And I'm afraid I don't have too much of an answer for you on that. Um, the, my poll on Instagram seemed to disappear. I have the Ladies Who London poll and I can't access Emily's because the plan was that she was going to come on and, and let me know about it. So um, we're going to leave the, the poll results for this week and I will try and get them for next week. So don't panic. Uh, we will be back to normal soon. But this is all, uh, all rather excitingly come at, um, yeah, when we weren't quite expecting it. So um Check back with us next week and I will have hopefully the poll results for both this week and uh, next week's podcast pedestal as well. So for this week, uh, let's get on with the show. So Alex, it's your turn this week. Um, the wheel landed in Whitechapel yeah. and you decided to go for... Well, I wanted to go for the Whitechapel Bell Foundry because mm. it's, well, it's a bit of a legend. It's a bit of a local legend. And it is kind of uh, perfectly timed because it's been in the news in the last couple of weeks. We're going to get to that. Um, what do you know about the Whitechapel Bell Foundry? I know that it's a beautiful building. Um, it kind of stands out on the road at Whitechapel because mm. it, it, you know, it, it looks so much older than everything around it. Um, it's obviously got links to quite a few famous bells, which I won't mention. I won't take it out <laughs> of your mouth. Um, uh, so yeah. you're kind of right in that it is. It does stick out on. It's on Whitechapel High Street, um, which is in the East End of London. If you know um, London at all, you'll know that you have the famous sort of Shoreditch and Spitalfield area and Whitechapel is just below that and if you say Whitechapel to most people they'll immediately say oh Jack the Ripper we're not going to go anywhere near Jack the Ripper on this podcast ever ever. Um, but it's that's what it's kind of famous for and the reason I mentioned that is because it gives you a bit of a sense of what Whitechapel used to be it was always a really poor area um, and it still is in places but it's kind of gone through a very big period of gentrification and building and regeneration um so what's quite interesting about the Whitechapel Bell Foundry you said it, it does stick out on the street because so many of the other buildings around it have moved and have changed and it does stick out but also because it's on a main road you get so many people zooming past all the time and they never really notice it because it's quite you know you'd sort of expect with this big industrial location that it would be this massive factory and you just couldn't miss it at all it's actually not quite true if you're looking at the frontages of the building yes absolutely you go oh that's a nice unique little one but it's not sort of massive and towering is it it's quite modest no, it's quite tiny really yeah, yeah. i mean the, the the actual site is quite large and stretches sort of back behind that road but you don't notice it in terms of its imposing structure like you would some industrial things so did you know that it is a Guinness World Record holder? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, Britain's oldest manufacturing company. Gosh. Yeah, I know, which makes it quite a unique um, place. And it spans the reign, if you were to put down the, the time scale of it, it spans the reign of 27 monarchs. So that's always a good, you know, staging post to show you how, how long it's been there. It goes from Elizabeth I to Elizabeth II. Which is wow, quite nice. that is very impressive. Bookended there, and it is going to be bookended with Elizabeth II, uh, and I'll explain why in a little bit. But it is very, very famous as a bell foundry. Which, how does a bell foundry get famous? Well, you mentioned briefly some of the bells that uh, were made there, and I want to kind of take you back to when it was originally created, which would have been in the 1570s. 
So the time of Elizabeth I and we, so it's been there for about 450 years. And if you would have gone past in times gone by, you'd have, ha- you'd have heard the sort of the clatter of the wheels over the floor and the sound of metal being hammered and the furnaces firing up. And it was, what it was making was bells for the numerous churches that were being built all over the country. Um, there's, if you have a look at the map of it, it's quite an interesting little map, actually, of the, of the layout of the thing. It's got all sorts of little rooms that have got random names on that. My favourite is the tuning room, Ooh. because, of course, all bells are tuned to a particular note. So you've got to have a tuning room to make sure that you have got the tuning correct. And there was a machine and all sorts of stuff. And we're going to come on to the tuning of, of a particular bell later. But there was a variety of developments and enlargements that happened. And they didn't just make bells. They made, well, I say just bells. They didn't just make the big church bells. They also made hand bells and also the the wheels made out of wood that you would use to transport the bells around. So there's there's quite a lot of stuff. All the kind of bell paraphernalia you need, they would create. Gosh, you wouldn't want to work there and go in with a big hangover. (laughs) No. (laughs) Like, oh God, will somebody stop ringing the bells? (laughs) Is that my hangover or is that just them testing next time? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and it gives you a sense of how Whitechapel was, you know, quite an industrial place. You had the docks nearby. You, East London was often where the industry was. And so you've got these furnaces going. It's going to be, you know, loud and smelly and busy. And I love the kind of the idea of all this uh, kind of organised chaos, I guess, happening um, around here. So let's go back to the very beginning, which, as Mary Poppins said, is a very good place to start. Um Back in the 1570s, well, there's a little bit of a discussion over who we trace the foundry to. It's either a guy called Robert Dodds in 1567, or it's another guy, another Robert, called Robert Mott in 1572. Either way, it's about the 1570s. You you can't know if often what happens in these things, and, and actually this happened with the Whitechapel Bell Foundry, is it goes through generations of families as well. So we can actually link people who worked at the foundry back to a bell maker in 1420 um which is a guy called robert chamberlain now he wasn't the whitechapel bell foundry but he links into it so we can actually trace the link of of the founders of bells all the way back to the 1400s even if it's not the actual company but either way i mean were they all called robert (laughs) i mean it sounds like they might have been (laughs) got three bobbies there very popular name clearly um well at least in the bell ringing or bell uh, founding world um, it was definitely so whichever way you, you slice the pudding uh it's it's an institution in the area isn't it it's it's a very important spot and because it is creating these bells i mean hundreds and hundreds of bells it was creating they are in churches all over the world and we'll come on to where they are in a second um it wasn't always on the spot that we know it as on uh Whitechapel high street it used to be it moved there in the 1700s and there was originally a, a kind of a coaching inn that was there called the artichoke brilliant name for a pub let's bring that back um and then they they moved in there in the 1700s and in the 1800s in the about 1810 there was an owner at the time now this is not a roberts yay we've moved on (laughs) this is a thomas thomas mears and he listed all the bells cast at the foundry since 1738 and he totaled it at just under 2,000 bells wow which equates to uh, around 25 per year and we're not talking little bells here. We're talking absolute whoppers, you Gosh. know, multi-ton bells. They, it, it's called in the trade heavy metal, the casting of these bronze bells, which I think is fantastic. Um, yes, yeah, so Whitechapel Bell Foundry are in the business of heavy metal. There we go. 
Now, we we have to have a little look and you know find out why why it's so famous. It's basically because of the amount of bells and the actual bells that were being produced there. They could make huge size bells, absolutely enormous ones. So as a result, a lot of their bells were used in cathedrals. Um, if you were to total up the the number of bells found in different countries, you can get about there's about five hundred that you can find in Australia that were founded in Whitechapel, about six hundred in the US, and there's at least nine hundred in Canada. Wow, I had no idea oh, that huge amounts they've done that many, and to, to transport them as well. Yeah, exactly. Transport, and we'll come on to tra- the problems of transporting in a bit. Um, one of the ma- the big bells for Canada is the Great Bell of Montreal. Okay. So if you're Canadian and you know that one, that is uh, one from the Whitechapel Bell Foundry, and it becomes particularly famous for church bells for these big sort of institutional churches. So the National Cathedral in Washington D.C has a bell that was founded at the Whitechapel Bell um, Foundry. There's a peal of 12 bells that were sent to Toronto Cathedral in 1997, also from here. If you're from the north of England, the Great Peter Bell of York Cathedral is from there. Um, and the for us as Londoners, the St Paul's Cathedral Bell. Do you know the name of the bell? Can you remember? He's called Tom, isn't he? Yeah, Great Tom, nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> is it not Robert? <laughs> no, it's not Robert for once. Um, and he was, yeah, he was founded in 1716, and he is now in St Paul's Cathedral. That's the that is the the one that strikes the hour, not the kind of little twinkly ones. Yeah. It's the big boom uh, one. It was a very good bell impression. I think you'll agree. That's very good bell impression. Now, if you had to say what is the most famous bell in London? What would you say it would be? Um, I would probably say, um, God, it's a bit of a hard one, really, isn't it? Um, <laughs> does it live around Westminster, Alex? No. Well, I mean, there is one there. We're going to come on to him. Oh, we're not actually talking about Ben. We are going to, but I wouldn't say that's the most famous bell because th- people don't always know that Big Ben is the bell. But if you if you are a Londoner, oh. what is what is your bell? Oh, okay, the the Bow Bells. Yes, absolutely. So if you were going through the city of London, the church called St Mary Le Bow, which is beautiful, and if you're in the area, highly recommend a visit. Um, it founded the Bow Bells. Now, you know you're you are a Londoner, aren't you? Are you? Where, are you, where were you born? Um, fantastic place called Essex. Oh yes, of course you're an Essex girl. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you consider yourself to be a true Londoner. There, or a Cockney is what we call them. For those who um, Brits will know the name, the term Cockney, people who are not British may not always know it. If you uh, want to think what a Cockney is, don't think of um, Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're looking at my place of meat. <laughs> All right, Mary Poppins. Um, but yeah, he's he's essentially a Cockney with a terrible accent. But if, if you are a Cockney, you are born within the sound of bow bells. And this is not bow in East London, like some uh, publications think it is. It is St Mary Le Beau in the city of London. And so those bells, possibly the most important for Londoners, were founded in Whitechapel Bell Foundry as well. But you mentioned the big dog. The big dog. The big, big dog, dog. Of, all, of all bells. Those are the quarter chimes. Oh, well, okay. He's the one that dong. goes dong. <laughs> I was coming to that, Alex. Dong. Sorry, sorry, I had to wait for the whole the whole thing to play out. Hang on a minute, I just had to work out what time it was. Um, yes, Big Ben, El Grande Ben. Um, so uh, now 
my fellow guides will know and, and some Londoners know Big Bell Big Big Bell Big Ben <laughs> Big, Big Bell Big Ben Big Bell is a Ben uh, Big Ben is not the tower nor is it the clock it is <gasps> Bell Alex. I know I'm changing your entire perception of <laughs> London right now um, it is the Bell that's inside and there is a fantastic story about Big Ben I'm going to now do a QI style question for you which Bell foundry made Big Ben Oh gosh. Um, well, I'm going to say, was it Whitechapel Bell Foundry? Now, if I had a, a klaxon here, I'd be going, eh, eh. <laughs> and this is a, like, <laughs> those of you who know QR, you know that they are very pedantic about the answers. Actually, no, not the first Big Ben. So, oh. do you know about this? Do you know about the, the 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 first and the second Big Ben? Oh, in terms of the. Well, yes. So. When it came to build, rebuilding the Houses of Parliament, Charles Barry, who is the architect, is busy building this amazing um, building and he puts up, well, he's planning to put up this huge tower that we now know as the Elizabeth Tower, which has been renamed recently. Um, and he wants it to have this massive clock and the bell that goes inside. And it was decided that he was going to really up the ante and make the largest bell ever made in the UK at the time, which was going to be 14 tonnes. Uh, plus the quarter chime bells, which are the ones that you just gave me a wonderful rendition of right there. Do you want to do it again? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the jazz version of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear that. Um, anyway, so when they were building this, uh, they they put the, the bell out to tender. And there were three foundries that put their hat in the ring. There were foundries, you know, all over the country for myriad churches that are popping up we have the Whitechapel bell foundry of course who was run by um a guy uh called mr mears it wasn't the thomas mears from earlier it was his son mears um then there was john warner and sons who were based in cripplegate so also in the east end of london and john taylor and co more johns goodness we've gone from, <laughs> gone from the roberts to the johns uh and co of loughborough so these are the three major ones that put their hats in the ring and and um Mr. Mears of Whitechapel Bell Foundry, he kind of does the big old swagger, I'm the big dog around here, and he kind of, he tootles in and he goes, hey, you know, whatever. We're the only ones with the expertise or the ability to make one so big. We've done one, I think they've done one that was about nine or ten tonnes, which at that time was the biggest. And he was like, yeah, we can do it. None of these other jolly-come-latelys have, have got, you know, got the ability to do it. And I'm Warner's imagining that his jacket, instead of having <laughs> buttons, has just got bells. Bells <laughs> hanging absolutely like, everywhere. I like the idea that he's one of those sort of dodgy uh, watch salesman and he kind of opens it what about the bell what about the bell what about got plenty of bells to 14 tons no problem mate uh, <laughs> go around the back my missus all sort you out uh, <laughs> anyway um, so the other two that were in the mix that we had tailors who went in and they said this is our pitch but we want payment up front and the government went what nope so they were out but Warner's piped up against Mr. Mears's, you know, grandstanding and went, actually, we've just had two massive new furnaces commissioned up in Stockton on Tees in the north of England. And so immediately Mears is like, oh, I maybe over <laughs> over egg this one. And a chap called Edmund Dennison was appointed as he was kind of like the intermediary and the organiser of the whole thing. So he's in charge of dealing with the bids and picking the right people. And he went with Warner's. He did not go with the Whitechapel Bell Foundry. Because of their Teesside furnaces, he was like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. We'll have you. So in 1856, the furnaces are fired up. And Mr. Mears, of course, has gone back to Whitechapel, you know, licking his wounds and thinking, oh, stuff that one. So 1856, 
that you, you get everything moving and the bell is cast. When they open the mould, it's brilliant. It's a really successful casting and preparations are made to bring it to London. And it was decided that the roads were too bad to risk it. You know, we hadn't really got into the stage of paving everything by then. So it was a bit of a tricky journey. So they thought, right, well, we'll take it from uh, Hartlepool, also topical, um, and we're going to pop it on a ship and take it down uh, via the water. It's much, much better. And this is where we start to see the first problems with it. The bell, which was supposed to be 14 tonnes, is actually two tons more than was planned. It was 16 tons. Mm-hmm. So when they popped it on this boat, it was on this sort of, um, I guess, some kind of structure to, to, to keep it in place. And it was so heavy that it broke through that, crashed off it and crashed onto the deck of the ship and damaged the ship. And the ship had to be brought back in to dry dock to, for repairs before it can get set going. So- Bloody hell, it was that heavy that it yeah, broke yeah, the ship. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they, I guess, you know, they probably wouldn't have had, I don't know if they'd have had the means to weigh it exactly. They'd have probably gone with, we think it's this, but, you know, anyway, mm. two tons more heavy. Uh, more heavy? Heavier. Heavier. Grandma's my friend today. Um, and so eventually the ship sets off and we encounter another problem. There is a massive storm and rumours spread that the, that the ship has, got, has gone down in the storm and the bell has been lost. And... Everyone's thinking, you know, these Londoners have been promised this massive tower with a bell and everything. And they're starting to think, we're never going to get this. It's, you know, it's not going to happen. Anyway, all of a sudden, the boat pitches up in London. Hurrah, it's there. Fantastic. The bell is checked. The bell is fine. So we've got through two of the first uh, initial um, problems. It's loaded onto a carriage and it's towed, well, firstly to the... um, uh, their foundry in London for a bit of a just a check and all that kind of thing and then it's towed to Westminster with huge crowds all around the streets it was a massive celebration people were really excited to see this huge 16 ton bell come through London and be installed so when it got to Westminster uh, fantastic timing the tower wasn't yet complete uh, so <laughs> and it's actually quite a, a quite a good job that it wasn't complete so what happened they built a kind of structure uh, it's been described as a gallows i guess a kind of some some sort of hanging thing out of wood at the bottom which they put the bell on because uh you know they couldn't put it up in the tower and they thought right well we have to do tests on it anyway we're going to test it extensively hmm. and that's what they did because the bell was a bit larger than they th- had planned uh they also used a bigger hammer and they for about a year they tested it on, you know, constantly ringing it, checking it was all fine. And about a year in, the bell thought, oh, I've had enough of this. And the bell cracked. <gasps> Whilst it was in yeah, Whilst, at the bottom of the tower. Yes, luckily still. It hadn't gone up to the top mm. of the tower because frankly... <gasps> um, Who now, was the one that gave it a whack? Well, now this is the thing, is there was a bit of a fight over whose fault it was. Mm. Um, Warners said that it was Denison's fault because he had commissioned this extra large hammer. And Denison said it's Warner's fault for not making a structurally sound bell. Oh dear. Yeah. So whichever way uh, it went, whichever, whoever, wherever the problem or the fault lay, uh, the bell was was smashed up because it wasn't usable. So, and actually Denison said, look, it smashed up a bit too easy. So I think actually it's not my fault. It's Warner's fault anyway. So we're back to square one. We have no bell for the tower. Now into this, guess who pops up again? Mr. Mears of Whitechapel Bell Foundry. And he goes, well, look, if we're doing it again... I'm going to tender again. And they go, okay, fine. So he puts his bid in and Warner's bid comes back in too. And Warner's was horrifyingly expensive and Mears was very reasonable. Now, whether or not he had specifically made it reasonable, 
I don't know. So like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get well, this job. I'm going to undercut and get it because let's yeah. face it, 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 we now know that White Jumble Bell Foundry founded Big Ben, the Bell in Big Ben. So realistically, it's worth it even for the uh, for the cachet. Just notice it's gone really Is that rain? That's rain. Can you hear it on the mic? Yeah. Oh my God. Let me let me just shut the curtain. Need a hot oh. chocolate and marshmallows for this kind of weather. You really do, don't we? Oh yeah, it does feel quite wintry. I hate I hate May. May has become what April used to be, isn't it? And April's now lovely. Yeah, well May last year it was perfect. Was it? I thought May yeah. was rainy, but April was gorgeous. Oh, I remember May being lovely. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. Um, where are we? Right, I'm just I'm gonna say that, that it has started raining really heavily. So if you can hear that in the background, I do apologise. Um anyway, so um Mears comes in with this really reasonable bid and uh, White Chapel Bell Foundry, funnily enough, they get the contract because Dennison says, you know what? Yeah, that's fine. Warner's is massively expensive and really hasn't proven himself to be brilliant. Um, and it's a much more logical place to cast it. It's in the east end of London. You don't have to worry about carting it across the country. And into all of this, Londoners are starting to, you know, they're really, they've seen the bell arrive. They were already thinking this is taking a while. And then it you know, it, it falls apart. So they think, are we ever going to get this? And there's a little um, rhyme that they used to say. It's brilliant. It's just four lines. Poor Mr. Warner is put in a corner for making a bad Big Ben. Good Mr. Mears, or so it appears, will make us a new one. But when? Ooh, how and mystical. All of, London, all of London is sort of <laughs> chanting this little uh, ditty about the, the two chaps involved in this big old fight off. Anyway, um, Mr. Mears gets straight to work. He thinks, right, let's let's just get on with it. And he casts the bell to the specifications. In fact, it's slightly lighter. It's 13 and a half tonnes. And what's also very um, helpful is that uh, at the very start of the project, when Mr. Warner had taken it on, he got the, the commission to do the bell plus all of the quarter chimes as well. And they all have to be harmonised to the same note. So it's in the tone of E, which is... No, what you always have to do with bells, you, you pick your note and then you can mm -hmm. harmonise everything. And so Mr Mears, as well as doing all of this, he also had to cast it in the tone of E to match, to harmonise with these smaller quarter bells. That they were fine. They were OK. So we've already got them. So he's got to make the massive one to fit in, which I imagine would have been quite a feat um, to do. Definitely. So. I did, Yeah, I didn't even think about having to to actually chime it in as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the the official Big Ben Bell is uh, installed in 1859, mm -hmm. and they kind of do the whole big hammer thing again. You know, boys and their toys, right? God, um, can you imagine? Be like, I don't, I don't want to do it. No, you do it. Like you do. <laughs> no, no, they love it. They're still doing it with this massive hammer. Oh, and it cracks the current Big Bell, the uh, Big Ben that we have. So <gasps> the one that we've got is, is also cracked. Um, but you couldn't really take, you know, it was already up in the tower. So by this point, it's up there, it's installed. And it was silent for four years while they had to figure out what to do about it. And in the end, they decided they were going to turn it about 90 degrees and bring in a smaller hammer. And it is still in operation today. So that is still the the chiming or the, the, the hour chime that you'll hear is still that bell from 1859. Uh, I love that. I love that Big Ben has got a big crack in it. Yeah. And it's not the only famous bell to have a crack in it as well. Do you know what other famous bell has a crack in it that might have been founded at Whitechapel Bell Foundry? 
Um, is it the Liberty Bell? It is, absolutely. So for those American um, listeners to the podcast, I know we have some, the Liberty Bell that you have in uh, Philadelphia, it was also made in Whitechapel Bell Foundry and it also has a crack. And I, at this point, I, sh- I'm, I feel like I'm casting aspersions on the quality of the work coming from the <laughs> Bell Foundry. Um, it's often not. They, they, they give them the bell and they go, right, this is what you need to make it sound perfect. And these lads are like, nah, that looks too small. Let's give it a proper whack and let's get the most volume out of it. And of course, it's always too big. So that's what they did with Liberty Bell as well. They, they smashed it with a, a big old hammer and uh, cracked it. Hurrah, hurrah. So there Gosh. we go. So and I presume really they would have had to have, I mean, uh, for instance, when they first kind of unveiled our current Big Ben Bell, um, you know, would they have had to have earphones on, you know, like earpieces, protective gear? I mean, it's a good question. I know, I know. Well, they've turned it off at the minute because the workers are up there all the time, and it would be detrimental to their. There's some thunder. Did it you hear de- that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it would be detrimental to their hearing. Um, but you know, we're talking about an era where health and safety is not at the forefront. So I have to say, I don't know whether or not they would have been wearing uh, mufflers of, of any description. Mufflers, ear mufflers, muffle the sound. No. <laughs> Are they called mufflers? Well, I guess they are, aren't they? Mufflers. Maybe they're not. Maybe they are. Mufflers. Sounds like a really sweet little creature, doesn't it? A muffler. A little muffler. (laughs) (laughs) I love that we both went the same to the the same kind of Little muffler. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, anyway. Yeah, we hate each other, don't we? Um, (laughs) So... um, you're, I'm sure you'll be aware that the Whitechapel Bell Foundry closed a couple of years ago. And I have to say, I was devastated because it's one of those places I thought, oh, I've always wanted to go and do a tour while they were casting and this, that and the other. And I thought, I'll get round to that one day. It won't go anywhere. And of course, it flipping well did, didn't it? It did. So 2017, it closed for the last time. It's been there for best part of 450 years. And the last owner was a guy called Alan Hughes. And um, he was asked, you know, all over the place about why um it was closing and he's you know there was a, there's a variety of reasons for it firstly uh, the demand for church bells is falling we're not building as many churches anymore and to be honest the quality of the bells are so good that there's, you know you make them 400 years ago they're still going yeah so it's that classic thing of doing yourself out of business because you're you're too good um plus there's regulations on emissions as well um in central london so that was causing problems Plus, it's such an old building. He had got a quote in for rewiring it, which really needed uh, to happen. And the quote was about half a million pounds. And it's now, anyway, not so much back in the day, but now it's a really hard industry to make any livable money from. So all of that together really meant that he didn't have much of a choice. He had to close it. But there's been a massive controversy since it was closed because what do you do with something that is you know 450 years old is part of east london's heritage has been an employer for literally centuries and is a place that everybody really holds dear and the fact that we're losing a lot of our heritage well you would think that the logical thing to do would be to turn it into a heritage site possibly even to keep some uh, of the founding going in there in some form um but actually what happened is it was sold more thunder um it was sold to a an investment uh, capital investor which is um you know something that that happens a lot it was an american firm and they bought it up 
And they then sold it on very quickly to another firm called Radcliffe Capital. Now, Radcliffe Capital have plans to turn the site into a boutique hotel with a rooftop pool and all of this, plus cafes and restaurants and workspaces and stuff like that. And there was a huge amount of very high profile campaigners who didn't agree. And a petition was brought forward in 2019, I think it was now, maybe 18. And there were alternatives that were put forward as well. And campaigners wanted it as a heritage site possibly even still a foundry and there was a massive local clash um the you know the, the area has changed so much you've had the global finance come in it's, it's taken its toll a lot on the area and a lot of locals feel very passionately about the heritage and there was a chap called Stephen Clark who came in and offered to buy the Whitechapel Bell Foundry now he's got form because he had previously bought the Middleport Pottery in Stoke-on-Trent, um, which is the UK's oldest working china factory. Um, if you've seen The Great Pottery Throwdown, have you ever watched that show? No. Oh, I love it. It's like The Great British Bake Off um, or The Great British Sewing Bee, but it's for pottery and it's it's delightful. If you can find it, I think it's on the BBC, might still be on there, watch it, it's heaven. But they filmed that in the Middleport Pottery and the Stoke-on-Trent potteries were for many centuries just really at the top of their game they it was famous worldwide and the same thing it, you know these these things decline a bit and it was on the verge of having to be shut down and Stephen Clark came in and he, he kept it going within the heritage model so he boarded up um and he it, it still produces world-class pottery now which is amazing and so he wanted to do the same thing with the bell foundry in the east end but the deal had already been done and he was in touch with um, the chap who was selling it, Alan Hughes. But this deal had basically already been done. And in that time, not only had the deal been done, but that initial investor had sold it on to Radcliffe Capital. So, it, that, you know, the, the hope of being able to buy it back was really, you know, that had disappeared. It had moved through so many hoops by that point. Exactly. Because they were sort of hoping that they could intercept the deal and go to the original guys and say, look... Um, we know that you've bought this, but we want to have it for heritage. So can mm. we buy it off you? And in the meantime, you know, they, these guys had flip, basically flipped it very, very quickly. And they'd made nearly three million pounds on the flip. So, yeah, by selling it on. So this huge petition was presented to the government, including um, people such as Dan Crookshank, who I'm sure you know is very well known for protecting heritage and, and kind of being a spokesman for conserving history. And he was part of it. And the planning application was submitted in 2018. Campaigners also wrote to the Secretary of State for Communities and Local Government, a guy called Robert Jenrick. And very unexpectedly, actually, he suspended the planning approval uh, whilst the whole thing underwent a public inquiry. And so there was hope that it could still be retained. And we found out uh, just a couple of weeks ago um, in the... Sort of around the 14th or 15th of May that the plans have now been rubber stamped and it is going ahead. So it is going to become a luxury boutique hotel. Oh, bloody hell. Which is a source of real disappointment for a lot of the locals who've campaigned for it because it's re it really is an amazing place with so much rich heritage and history. But anyway. And it's just so beautiful to look at. Like really you pass is. one sign, you've got this old crane just attached to one of the walls the the front of it has got this like lovely kind of mustardy color yeah it, yeah it's just such and I a should shame say that Radcliffe Capital have said they're going to refurbish it in in a sort of respectful way and and mm. trying to you know conserve the heritage but realistically locals wanted it to you know you wanted you to be able to go and experience 
one of the last remaining industries in London. You know, these things, we lose them so quickly. And mm. um, and that's a real shame. You can, however, still buy Whitechapel Bells because Alan Hughes, when he closed it down and sold it off, he trademarked um, the... Well, actually, he, he got legal protection for the branding of Whitechapel Bell. So he still remains or retains the logo and the rights to the you know the actual quality thing and you it's it's now been trademarked the Whitechapel Bell Foundry as a brand and it's been licensed to a company called the Westley Group who are funnily enough in Stoke-on-Trent um and they still make bells with the Whitechapel logo so you can actually still buy a Whitechapel Bell that's nice won't be made in Whitechapel any longer and they still uh, make and sell hand bells as well which you can have with the Mm. the Whitechapel I'd like it you know if you were staying in this boutique hotel that you know you had all these kind of um bell paraphernalia (laughs) you know like a little bell by everybody's bed it would be something wouldn't it yeah (laughs) I don't I suspect that they well I suspect that they would at least acknowledge that heritage um so yeah watch the space but i mean literally it's hot off the press that news so mm. um i suspect maybe the, the the there is still fighting the old dog yet i i think we may well see more protests um and campaigns whether or not they'll be successful i mean it, it's not looking great now but there we go um so a little bit of an ignominious end to something that has been an incredible um bit of east end history and frankly i think is just such an exciting place when you consider the impact that it's had all over the world. Absolutely. Especially, you know, that it's been going since Elizabeth I to Elizabeth yeah. II. It's, yeah, wow. It's the kind of thing that you always assume will always be there. And then mm. when it ends, you're like, oh, of course not, because things go in cycles, don't they? And, and, and yeah, just because, mm. we, just because we see things as an institution in our lifetimes, you think, of course, that could never change. And then if you would come back in 400 years and see, you know, the difference that there'd be, it would be mm. incredible. Um, so, yeah. I wonder if they're at least going to keep the name, you know, Bell Foundry Boutique Hotel or something, just so that, you know, there's Maybe. still a bit of a nod. Yeah, I mean, at the minute, uh, I, I thought it's way too early for those sort of details. Um, but yeah, you would hope so. Yeah, we'll see. But wow, ding dong, that was that was fantastic. <laughs> Honestly, what you like. <laughs> You've been waiting for that, haven't you? <gasps> oh dear. And it won't be long until we do hear Big Bang ding dong. I can't wait. Yeah. So it's supposed to be October of this year, isn't it? I think. Mm, well yeah. around that time. Yeah. Around that time. So that's so... been a while. That's been what was it, twenty eighteen? Was it twenty eighteen? Yes. Or seven. Twenty eighteen. Maybe the end of 17. It's been a bloody long time. Actually, I think it was 2017. Maybe it was 2017. Yeah, anyway. Been far mm. too long. Bring back Big Ben, I say. Far too long. But yes, <laughs> wonderful. Thank you very much, Alex. Podcast pedestal. So we have to pick our podcast pedestals. Oh, God. What are you thinking? <sighs> well, um... I'm thinking the hammer. But oh yeah, you know is that is that a bit naughty going for the hammer? No, go for the hammer. Go for the hammer. But I want a particular hammer. I want oh. the I want the the second hammer that um, cracked our current Big Ben Bell. Oh okay. <laughs> Not the first like, one. Should I go for the first one. <laughs> we can have a hammer off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to go for the 
that the hammer that cracked Big Ben. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I do think that's quite naughty though, because it is quite quite cruxy. So the uh, crucially the second hammer, so the one that gave it the the crack that it's got today. Yes. Okay. Well, in that case, do you know what? Let's have a hammer off. I'm going to go. Oh for my the- god! You're going to go for the first because for me, I think that this now this is where we're really going to see. Yeah. So I'm going to go for the first hammer because if it weren't for the first hammer, Whitechapel Bell Foundry would not have got the contract to do the bell because you've got Warners who bring in this massive 16 ton bell and this over large hammer which cracks it and because it's already at the bottom can't be taken away therefore a new one has to or has to be taken away so a new one has to be made and that's where Whitechapel Bell Foundry get their all important contract to make them the supplier of the Big Ben Bell so I'm going for hammer one True, but it didn't actually break a bell that was created in the bell foundry that you're talking about. No, but it paved but the way. It for... did pave the way. <laughs> <laughs> but don't I just love the idea that they've got it hoisted up, it's ready. There's no way that they could ruin it again. And then boom. <laughs> and the crack is still there today. And I love those kind of things where you know, when you look up at the tower and when people pass Big Ben next, they'll think, oh, there's a crack up there. Or they might pass and think, oh, if it weren't for that first hammer, we wouldn't have, <laughs> I don't think they would, we wouldn't Alex. have that amazing Big Ben bell that we have today. So how are, you, how are we going to put this on Hammer the one and hammer two. Hammer one and hammer two. Oh, my God. Hammer <laughs> two, guys. It's a hammer, hammer off. It's hammer time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. Wow. Let's okay. see. So those are your choices, chaps. Hammer one, which is the most important one, and hammer two, which, you know, just is is whatever. No, hammer two is incredibly important. It's, you know, a wonderful piece of history that, that as well, the bell that the second hammer touched still exists. Your bell that you're going on about was broken to pieces. Yes, but your bell wouldn't exist if it weren't for the first hammer, which broke the original bell. Well, we'll see what people think, Alex. <laughs> okay all right (laughs) so those are your options for next week pretty easy to remember hopefully we can remember them we always forget them every week what was it again yeah what did Um, you choose choose? yeah so hopefully next week we can uh we can both remember them so that's it yay yay so before we get on to the wheel of destiny what news what have you got coming up um so i don't know if anyone's following me on instagram which is guide emily (laughs) Um, but I've started a new little kind of Friday segment where every Friday for five minutes, I talk about an artist or a piece of art. Um, so, um, I'm, I'm doing that. (laughs) I'm getting people to, to come and follow my artistic adventure. And are you still doing your sketch history lives as well? Yes. I've got a couple of those coming up. So make sure you also follow sketch underscore history and you'll find out when I'm doing my live drawings. And I'm going to plug for her. She does sell her art as well. And it's really lovely. Oh, thank you, darling. It's, it's great for prezzies and things like that. Oh, thanks. And what about you? What are you doing? Well, I have a couple of uh, public walks coming up. And we've still got the Tudor box, which is going strong. And hopefully by now I will have launched my second one. So if you want to come and have another go at a different escape room, that will be up. I hope. <laughs> Edit. It's not. But it will be soon. The Wheel of Destiny. Here we go, then. It's your... Favorite. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so just, just can't stop thinking about bells. Oh. 
Um, right, yes. So where do I want it to land? Let's just go for it and see what happens, which Even is what I do every week. Underprepared. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, off we go. Oh. Oh, it's landed on Fleet Street. Oh, okay. Have we been We've... there before? Yes. Well, we have, haven't we? We talked about the River Fleet yonks ago, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, right, so we've got... You can't do the River Fleet again. <laughs> can't obviously do Somerset House. We've done that. Yep. Um... What have you got down there? You've got LSC, you've newspapers, got Sweeney Todd. newspapers, Sweeney Todd, St. Clement Danes. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know who stands at the front of St. Clement Danes Church or at the back? Stands at the back. Oh, um, Dr. Johnson. Dr. Johnson with oh, his curly hair. Legend. Oh, yes. I'm going to talk about Dr. Samuel Johnson, who lived just off of Fleet Street and um, yeah, it's that fabulous statue of him yeah. just outside of his his parish church. So yes, I'm going to talk brilliant. about Doctor Samuel Johnson. Legend, and I do actually mention Samuel Johnson on my uh, Harlots tour as well. Oh, which is the tour of the Georgian sex trade because he pops up briefly uh, in that one as well. That naughty man, Not naughty man that is that is Samuel. <laughs> so there we go. That is it for this week. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, really appreciate you coming along please do like and subscribe and rate the podcast uh, and then we can read out more wonderful reviews like Alex and Emily secretly hate each other <laughs> uh, which I think is hilarious and please keep on voting for the pod I'm just so happy that we got 130 yeah, odd I'm votes thrilled. I'm thrilled this, uh, last week so yeah brilliant vote for Hammer 1 and we're all good <laughs> Hammer 2 Hammer Hammer 2 Hammer 2 that's where it's at a wonderful week don't know why. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, week. wonderful week. I do Transylvanian there. Um, I was watching Dracula the other day. It's stuck. Anyway, have a great week, and we will see you all. <laughs> Such a weird ending. <laughs> Imagine you blood coming out of my neck. <laughs> of course not... you would, goth guide. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, have a lovely week, everybody. Yes, and, we'll and see take you care of yourselves. See you next week. Bye. Bye.